0: Hi, this is Pastor Frank. I just want to welcome you to this Bible study. This Bible study is going to be about Easter, but I don't like calling it Easter. It's actually Resurrection Sunday. And traditionally, there are a lot of things to talk about and things to explain. One thing I do want you to know that anytime that you quote what I say or use things that I use, references, biblical scriptures logic and reason, the way the Bible is given us to understand truth, we have to be able to tell and retell things that are true, that are actually true, historically true, biblically true, the truth in general. This is what we're called to do as Christians. And so I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm just trying to tell the truth, which is sometimes really hard and it really goes against man's traditions. So... This particular podcast I'm trying to make here is going to be about these subjects. Now, this one in particular is leading up to Resurrection Sunday, 2022. And the reason why I'm making these videos and podcasts is because there are things that need to be explored, questioned. Now, we are really entrenched in our traditions and We just are. And we want to say, oh, we do it for the sake of the children, and, um, well, I'm doing this for the sake of the children as well. So there are different, you know, ways to think about this. Um, Some people think that it's, uh, you know, ultra, you know, dogmatic, but it's the truth, I mean, isn't what they—that's the same thing they thought about Christ, or the same thing they thought about John the Baptist and and all the prophets. They're just too legalistic. They're just being too close to things mm-hmm. like that. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm doing exactly what they're doing, and what I'm trying to do is tell the truth. Now, when God calls us back, was what He pretty much did with Israel. He always called them back when they got away. He called them back, and there are, the narrative of that is all throughout the Hebrew Bible. And all the kings of Israel, you can see it, and you know it's like we have to understand that there's a reason for these things now we're um in in this time now, we're the church, and so the church is has a job, has a duty, has things that we're called to, and all the gifts gifting that God has given us through the Holy Spirit there's so many things to talk about, but we have to return to that, and I think that's what it is we have to be called back. To what the scriptures say, which is very important. Now, when it comes to this particular subject, Resurrection Sunday is very important to understand. Sometimes we just think it's a time of the year that we celebrate this and that, and really, it's about Jesus Christ. The whole Bible is about Jesus Christ. Everything is about Jesus. So, you take a central figure, and then everything that's been said in the Word of God encompasses His his position, who he is and what he's going to do, what he has done, which is very important. So in this particular video podcast, I want to be able to explain in short because there's a few more to come after this. And then also after Resurrection Sunday, I'm going to do some explainers because there's a lot of things that we needed to be uploaded before we try to even understand from a Christian perspective. A lot of us think we know, about what the Word of God says about every single thing that we do? Or do we? Maybe you do. And if you do, you're more accountable to manifesting those truths in the Word of God through Scripture. And Jesus wants us to worship Him, wants us to be more like Him, wants us to be able to be His bride. Uh, there's so many things that He wants from us, He gave us his life. He made it possible through the Holy Spirit for us to be able to be empowered, to be able to do the things, as the Apostle Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 7, about the things that he wants to do, the things that he ends up doing. There's a lot of things that we do. We battle against our flesh. But thank God he's given us the Holy Spirit, which is important. So the point of I'm telling you all this is that everything is, there's a chronological aspect to this narrative. We just don't cherry pick, you know, everything that we want when it comes to Christianity, because if you do that, you end up with another type of gospel or another type of Hebrew or um, scripture of um, from the Hebrew scriptures into the, the epistles and the four gospels. And so it's very important to be able to read the story, to read the narrative exactly the way it's read from Genesis to Revelation. Now, everything you can't leave anything out there's nothing you can leave out when it comes to the word of god when it comes to the narrative of jesus christ when it comes to the types of the shadows you know that you just can't there's there's really there if you leave one thing out it changes this is why i'm against cherry picking um people who who do that to the word of god they either over-moralize it and and say what it doesn't say or they take away from it by reducing it down, kind of reductionism and make it light as if it, that's what Jesus did because Jesus didn't make it light. He, he made it what it was. He said, what I give is light. But if you're talking about hell, you're talking about you know, eternal damnation, separation from God, that's heavy. That's something that he wants us to understand. But see, what he did was, is he died for us. You see, even when we say that as Christians, it almost sounds cliche. Like if we say, Oh yeah, Jesus died for our sins and he washes clean with his blood and then we're going to have everlasting life. That is absolutely true. I believe that with 110% of my heart. But how did we get there? What's the story behind that? Well, how do we even come to that type of idea where, where, where that actually we could explain how that even happened? And I'm not saying you have to know that to be saved. And I'm not saying you have to know that in order to witness to people. What I am saying is that you need to believe in what you actually say. My goal is to get people to read their word, to be able to study their word. Not to make up your mind about the word because there's so much for us to learn. If we have the attitude that we know everything about the Bible, or we are pretty well-versed in certain subjects of the Bible and life. Um, that's not a good attitude to have. That's not; Those aren't good ideas. There is so much more to learn about God's Word. Now, there are things that are in the Word of God that is very subtle, that it talks about uh, certain things, specifically in the New Testament. There are, it seems like that there are words that are used, phrases that are used, where the reader is expected to know what it means. And there are things about people who read the Word of God who know, and there are people who read the Word of God who don't know. So this is why it's important to do Bible studies, to enlighten people of what the Word of God says, not to bring anything new, but to bring what's already there for understanding. But definitely there is something about... Reading the word of God for face value and then say, Oh, I read the word of God or I read the Bible every day. So reading the word of God, there's two ways to do it. There's one where you read it and you're looking for life's answers through God's word because God has given us the answers and you're diligently seeking and scouring the scriptures for truth. Okay. And then there's those who read the word of God to find things to Make them feel better. God's promises, the fact that He's going to redeem us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and at the very end, in the judgment, that we'll be able to be in the new heavens and new earth. That alone, just that one, that single truth right there, gives us faith and hope. So it doesn't necessarily, um, that's not necessarily there to help you with your daily walk. That helps you with your overall faith. That alone can make your day, can make your whole life because knowing that that everything you do is for Christ, living the life and then being able to at the end be rewarded with everlasting life. So everything you do is conducive towards the kingdom of God. So what I'm saying is is that that to what the Apostle Paul said is to is to die is to gain and to live is also to gain. We don't lose. So Thinking about this kind of should put it in perspective for you that if, if you're reading the Bible to feel good every single day, think about the promises of God. That's, I gave you one, one promise. I'm not trying to be hard on anybody and I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad for anything. All I'm trying to do is get people to understand that we need to take our faith more serious. It's I, I can't really emphasize enough how important it is to live the life. It is very difficult, I understand, to live a Christian life in the United States because of all the money and the capitalism and the temptation that are around us versus anyone who lives anyplace else. But as a culture, we should be able to do the things that the Bible says to do without question. Um, I've, I've always liked this saying, God does not conform to our culture our culture must conform to God. That is very important to understand. I've heard of different kinds of um, Christians, carnal Christians, secular Christians, libertarian Christians. There's so many different types of Christians. But the one that fears God, the one that loves God, the one that constantly is searching for truths to be able to help other people who are constantly uh, in, in the right balance of faith and in works... These are things that that we can our lives must conform to God if they don't. I mean, think about things that we could have done. Think about the things that we would have done, and think about the things that you're doing. These are heavy. I, I say all this because we get caught up in 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 culture, and this is why I'm making this video specifically is because culture sometimes forms our Christianity. And that's something that I can't be quiet about. So when it comes to um, this particular podcast video, like I said, I'm doing this video for a reason. Now, later on in this um, video, podcast video, I'm going to be uh, partaking in a a makeshift um, Seder. And for those who know what that is, and for those who don't, a Seder is where Jews will have a memorial for the Passover. Now, the Passover is, uh for me, I'm learning exactly what it means. And the reason why I say this is because there's so much to talk about when it comes to this subject. But Jesus, during the Last Supper, and for whatever reason it's called the Last Supper, it's called the Last Supper, I don't, not that I have found in any versions of the Bible, but scripturally, uh, I've not heard it called the Last Supper. That's tradition. Man has called it the Last Supper, although it was his Last Supper, but that's not the point. The point is, is that it's like glossed over. It's like, it's like you have something on a wall and then you paint over it. It's called Passover. Jesus, uh, in, in the, you know, quote unquote Last Supper, Jesus was, uh, partaking of Passover. Now, this is important to know, okay? The Bible says the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Passover. There's not too many places in the Bible, specifically in the King James Version, where it says Passover other than the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament. This kind of um, rubs me the wrong ways because I kind of feel like, you know, the wool's been pulled over my eyes when the whole time that it should be called what it was called. Now, studying these things, it's very important to come to the knowledge of it. Now, I want to make one, a major statement here, as well as you, for me, we're Gentiles. What that means is we're non-Jew, okay? I'm um, Native American, uh, Mexican, and so uh, I, I'm i not a Jew. I'm a Gentile. I've come to the faith. Um, my gr- uh, grandmother, uh, my mother taught me, um, and was reinforced throughout my life. And that's why I'm a Christian is because I was taught it. Now, have I looked into other religions and other faiths and other other types and, uh, of religions and and Christianity? Yes, I have done uh, over the past 23, 24 years, I have done a lot of research on a lot of different things. And I've come to the conclusion after all this time, after all the study, um, that Christianity has the cross, which no other religion or faith does. Okay, now we read these things and and we, like I said, it almost sounds cliche, but we read these things because we have been heard it said over and over and reiterated over and over, but we don't know why. So, like I said later in in this video uh, podcast, I'm going to partake in a makeshift Seder. The Seder basically is what the Jews... I'll partake in the Passover and I'll read all the scriptures to you. And so that when you see the video, you're not confused. And I'm not trying to, this is another, I don't want to make another harder statement. I am not in any way trying to convert anybody or get anybody to believe or to somehow we uh, go to the the, the ends of trying to be a Jew. We're not, that's, that's not what we're called to because we're not Jewish. Ethnic or not, we're Gentiles. We are grafted on. Okay, so the Bible is very clear about that. Now, when it comes to um, certain things about uh, anti-Semitism or when it comes to certain things like um, um, blaming a certain race of people for certain things in history or even in in the Bible when we read what the Word of God says, we have to be careful with that because uh, you could be holding resentment, unforgiveness, unduly, and coming to the knowledge of the truth will help you understand exactly who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ isn't a single figure that is coming from an outside source like, you know, from you know, from a different country. He's actually born from the line which God had chose the line through that bloodline, through that people specifically to be born as the Messiah. And there's a, a gigantic narrative in the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament that proves that. Because some people will ask me, well, how do you know that to be true? I said, well, you could read one, two thirds of the, of the Bible, which explains that. Do you need words? I could tell you right now, if you were to, if take a look at the, the, the four gospels and look at the way Jesus talks to the people, He's not talking to Gentiles. He's talking to Jews. Is the reason why the things and the terminologies, uh, the things that he says and the terminology he uses, the subjects, the the sayings and all these different things, scriptures and quoting scriptures, he's talking to Jews. You see? So uh, like a Jew would understand everything that he says. He's not like having to break it down. To teaching a gentile, that's why later that comes. That's why, all, if you take a look at the epistles in the New Testament, it, they're all explainers. They're like they're they're explainers of the of the Torah. They're explainers of what Jesus said because Jesus was talking about the Torah. They're explaining explainers about life, explainers about what the, the 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 Hebrew Bible actually means. They were expounding on everything to people who don't know the Word of God. That's pretty much what the epistles are all about. And then you have the Book of Revelation of what the Bible, what the um, the prophecies of what Jesus is going to do in more in a more explained way from the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament. And I'm saying all this because it is so important. There are so many podcasts to make, video podcasts to make, to get this point across. Now, I don't want to uh, waste too much more time. But my thing is, is that I want to be able to, I can't say it all in one, but my thing is, is that I want to be able to uh, make these uh, statements that is very important. If, if you know your Bible, you will hear this. If you know the word and you have studied the word and, you, and it bears witness with the Holy Spirit that resides in you and the Holy Spirit that resides in me, if you believe that, then the spirits will bear witness. Now, if you don't believe it, that's okay. But before you discredit it, and before you um, shun it or question it, read it for yourself. It's very important. So I'm going to go into the scriptures. I'm going to go into the the aspect of what this is, and then you make up your mind, and then it'll be what it'll be. Now, in Romans chapter 1, which is a really great chapter. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And I want to bring this up just for uh, some references. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation to uh, for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. Okay, so there's a lot. Even in this one scripture, there's so much information. Okay, so it says that for, um, for Paul, he's not ashamed of the good news. Or he's not ashamed of the good tidings, as the uh, Hebrew Bible says, of Jesus Christ. Now, or of Christ, so Christ meaning Messiah, because it's not Jesus' last name, of the Messiah. Okay, the Moshiach. For it is the power of God. To salvation okay for everyone who believes so you have to believe and this was an issue because the jews didn't believe the gentiles had no clue they were told some were like no we got our own gods and then we're like the ones who heard it heard the truth they started to believe It says, for the Jew first. Okay, why does it say for the Jew first? I'll tell you why. It's because this message primarily, okay, only a Jew would understand. If you and I were in the first century, we'd be right along with the Corinthians and everyone else and be like, you know, doing everything that we're doing, all crazy, you know, involved in paganism. And then we hear the gospel and we're like, oh, that's not for us. Or we're going to hear the gospel and say, oh, yeah. I believe I believe what you're saying. So here it says also it says for the Jew first and then also to the Greek. Now this still remember in that time it's Greco-Roman. There's a lot of influences from the Greek from the Hellenistic uh, part, uh, the Seleucids uh, in the intertestamental period, and then you have the Romans who are on the shoulders of the Greeks. They don't like that, but it's true. Uh, here you have to the Jew first and then to the Greek in other words to the people who are in the area of Rome And so this is important for us to know that Jesus came to um, talk to the Jews first and then secondary to the Gentiles is which who we are Now you this particular, saying here it says to the jew first is throughout the uh, new testament now one of the issues that were uh kept coming up were do do new believers in christianity and it wasn't called christianity back then to 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 just to be straight with that as that's another podcast we've kind of touched on in other ones was circumcision now circumcision is part of the law of the Abrahamic uh, covenant where he had told them after eight days to circumcise your children after they're born. So eight days, uh, they're they're circumcised. And I, and I brought up an article, which I thought was um, very interesting. Um, this is uh, something that it says, is the oldest religious rite in Judaism dating back almost 4,000 years. It is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 17. When God commanded Abraham, every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. And that shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you at the age of eight days. Okay, so if we're talking about uh, at the age of eight, okay, that is Torah. That's for Jews. Okay, so we uh, as a culture do not have to do that. Jews on the other hand, who um, are devout to God and who um, are still following the Torah, which God had never said to stop following the Torah, they're the ones that are become circumcised their children after eight days. Now if, here in, in the book of Romans chapter 2 it is arguing about circumcision. Well first of all, they've already the law doesn't apply. they're already over eight days old. they're talking about full grown men here. It doesn't apply. And even if they wanted to do that, it's something that is not necessary because we're Gentiles. It's because this message I already told you is to the Jew first. Now, there are so many things to to we have to like re-educate ourselves on what we what tradition has got us to believe and to force upon us to believe. There is a flavor, and I'll be the first one to admit there, there in my life, there was a flavor of of antisemitism because we we are told about there are some a few misconceptions in our what we believe in tradition that is completely unscriptural it is nowhere in sight in scripture but yet we're told that's what it means and so I challenge those things and if anybody wants to challenge me on it feel free because I have done the study and and I have the answers but that's not I'm not here to to do any kind of apologetics, I'm just saying that that I'm ready. The other aspect to this, okay, we find in uh, Luke chapter 22, verse seven through thirteen. It says, "Then the day this is this is the part about um, about the Passover where it doesn't say Passover here, but I'll read it. It says the then um, this is uh, uh Luke 22 seven through thirteen. Then came the day of un- unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed." And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then then you shall say to him, Master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat Passover? My, with my disciples. Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there, make ready. So they went and found it just as he said to them and he prepared the Passover. Okay. They call this the Last Supper. Now it's it's not at the time where they're eating, but this is very important to understand. Now, do you understand what it says? I'm gonna say 99% of us don't understand what this means. There is a gigantic story within these few scriptures here in Luke 22, 7 through 13. Just as an overview, so that you know, unleavened bread, what's the significance of it? Passover, where does that come from? Where does that word even come from? Do do we even know what that means? No, we only are reduced down to calling it the Last Supper. It says here that the Passover must be killed. What, 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 how do you kill a Passover? What that means? Do you know what that means? Um, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover. What is there to prepare? You know, what, what's, what's the significance? Why do they need to prepare it? Don't, don't they just have to get, um, wine and bread? These are good questions. And then, um, he says, uh, and where do you want to prepare it? Where are we going to have it at? You know, Is it going to be outside? Is it going to be inside? You know, He told them what what it has to be. And if you know your Bible, you're going to know the answers to these questions. And then when here in verse 10 through 13, it talks about the upper room and how that when they were going to go into the city, what Jesus said that was going to happen and it happened. And they were going to be able to hear it says, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room to, to where? Room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. I mean, how did how do they know that? You see, there are a lot of things that we have to understand. That there are timelines that only Jesus knew, and timelines that we are not privy to and don't understand. Now, there are also certain things about the time of year. There are the times of uh, of when these are to happen. Um what well does anybody know what season or what year or no I'm sorry, what season or what month this is in. Is that even significant? Do we go by the Gregorian calendar or do we go by the Hebrew calendar? If you go by the Gregorian calendar, you're like, okay, it means nothing, but if you go by the Hebrew calendar, it means a lot. There are so many things that are associated with this time of year. Okay, let's, and I'm just, I'm only touching the tip of the iceberg. There is so much more to know. Now, if you go to Exodus chapter 12, this is very, very important. It gives us some answers. Okay, but it's only the beginning of the answers. Exodus chapter 12. this is starting at verse five. So what was, what was Jesus actually, what were they eating? What, what, what was the whole big, um, you know, the big, uh, hubbub about the, you know, preparing you have, have a room, um, this has to happen. That has to happen. What, what is, um, what is the importance of it? Why is it such a big deal? Why, did, why was it even mentioned in Scripture? Is that, are those details really necessary? What's the point of it? This is what I'm trying to say. This is what I'm trying to get people to understand. Why, why is it in Scripture? Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, it says, "You, shall, you your, your lamb shall be without blemish a male of the first year. Now, this is during the um, their exiting Egypt. This is right before, okay? This is the the last plague of Egypt. So, God had instructed all of Israel to get a lamb, and it shall be without blemish. And it has to be a male, and it has to be within a year old, a year or within a year old. So, Again, I'm going to ask this again. So, what month was this? Why is it necessary for it to be this month? Um in Exodus chapter 12 verse one, uh, uh verse 2, it says the month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. What month was that? Does that matter? Are those details important? Study and you'll see that it is verse 6 of Exodus chapter 12 verse 6 now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month so they're supposed to keep it the 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 passover lamb alive and then the rest of verse 6 says then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight so now it gives a time It says that you're not to kill it until the 14th day. And then it says that you're supposed to kill it, but not until twilight. Twilight in the Hebrew calendar and the Hebrew time is is until after 3 p.m., our time. So after 3 p.m., now we are in the same month give or take, that this would take place. So the challenge I gave was, how long does it take from three o'clock in in this week here that we're observing? How long does it take from three o'clock until the sun goes down? It's roughly right around four hours, three to four. I'm just observing that. That's important. Now, if if you know Judaism, after uh, twilight and it becomes night, that's the next day. So the Passover lamb here is supposed to be killed after three o'clock, but before night. And they shall take some of the blood, this is verse seven, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel. The two doorposts are on the side, and then the lintel is the top of the door of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh of on um, that night, roasted with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it now. There is, uh, if you read further down... You'll see that there's also other preparations that need to be made. And one of them is to make sure the house or the building or where they're having it has to be completely clear of leaven. Absolutely clear. No yeast, nothing, anything with not even a crumb. Swept out, wiped down, everything clean, free of leaven. And then it, here it gives the, the things that are to be present on, on the Seder. The Seder is what is supposed to be present on the table. What is to be partaken of. Here it says that it'll be the lamb. And it's not to be boiled. It's to be roasted over a fire. With everything in it. Killed, blood drained in a bowl. And then roasted over a fire. And then after it's roasted, with that you have unleavened bread, bread that doesn't have yeast in it. Bread, the reason for that is is because it's flat and and if God calls you to move, let's go, you don't have time for yeast to rise. They didn't see they didn't have proof box, a proof box in those days. They had to put the yeast inside the dough. And then they had to let the dough set for a certain period of time so that it could raise because yeast makes bread rise. And then you bake it and it's kind of like, um, I don't know, it's kind of like a uh, flat bread. It's kind of like a poor man's bread. But they did it in haste. They didn't have time to proof bread. So they just made the bread with, uh, with the grain or the flour and the water and whatever else, maybe some herbs they put inside of it, whatever. And then And then they baked it and it didn't rise. It's flat. That's unleavened bread. Because they made it in haste in case when God called, they were able to go. Um, And then bitter herbs. Okay. Now, a bitter herb, I don't know if you've ever tasted uh, um, parsley raw, just without anything dipped in anything, or um, flat leaf parsley, which is Italian parsley. And there's other herbs or other things that are bitter. Okay, It doesn't say herb, it says herb. So there's a lot of different types of herbs that are out there that they were partaking, eating it bitter. Why bitter? That's another question. Why do they have to be bitter? Why does it have to be unleavened bread? Okay, and then the other one um, is that the, the house will be cleaned. Okay, all preparation. So if you want to talk about why it was a big deal is because here in Exodus chapter 12, it is a big deal. So this is why... Okay this is some of the things some of the what the bible actually says these are some of the things that what we read here in Luke chapter 22 now you could read this whole thing you could read the uh, every single book Matthew Mark Luke and John you could read about the uh, quote unquote so called last supper you you can you can read the the narrative what it actually says i am educating you of what this is. Now, I'm going to show a video of me partaking in only a few things that the uh, Jewish Seder says to do. Uh, like I said, I'll reiterate again, I am not Jewish. I'm not trying to be a Jew. I'm not trying to convert people or try to get them to be a Jew. I'm trying to tell you and show you that these are the things that our Lord and Savior himself partook in. He, he, everything that we just read here in scripture, Jesus was partaking from the time of the Passover, which is roughly right around at that time of Jesus's time, right around 1500 years or so, give or take, and that they were exactly what it says to do this as a, 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 through your generations forever. Jesus was partaking in that very same thing that they were told to as a Jew. We have to come to grips with these uh, truths. Some people are like, you know, whatever, and some people are like, you know, yeah, that that I guess that's true, but it's not a, a a big deal. We should make a big deal about it. It is a big deal, and I really want people to be able to watch the uh, the live video that I'm going to make uh, in First Discipleship on Facebook. So that you understand, this is I'm doing this with all my heart. It's a lot of study that's going into this. Because we hear the same thing over and over like breathing in a paper bag. You ever, you ever put a paper bag over your mouth and breathe into that? That's what it's like. We have to use the whole counsel of God. We, we we can't we cannot understand what these passages mean in the four Gospels without knowing what the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament actually says because the details are there. The explainers are there. Now, I, I like I said, what I'm going to play is me and my son partaking in only like a few of the Seder, things that are on the Seder plate, a few of the things. And it is important for me. What it is very important to me to be able to experience some of these things. And I didn't, there's so much more uh, on how to, there's a how to manual called the Haggadah. The Haggadah basically is the Jewish manual to do the Passover. The Seder is, uh, is, is to be able to make it a ceremonial. And there is a, a Seder leader who leads the whole thing, just as Jesus was leading, I guess you can call it leading the Seder when it came to the, the last supper, when he was he broke the bread and, and handed it to his disciples and drank the wine. Um so it or, or fruit of the vine, it says, and and so you you have to, to try to get what's being said here. It is so important to try to understand what this means. It's not just formalities, there's gigantic meanings to everything that he did for our understanding. It is what, it's the window we have into who God is and his purpose and his plan. Very, very important. So I'm going to play the video and I want you to try to understand what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to get people to understand by experiencing the food with the meaning and also ceremonially. It's very important. It's really no different than how we, as the sacrament of the communion, and how Jesus told us to remember him as a memorial for what he's going to do, because he didn't go to the cross yet. And He said, do this in remembrance of me. So he partook of two things, Of the Passover, while they were having Passover, he partook of two things. He said, I want you to, I'm going to emphasize these two things, my body and my blood, because that's what he was going to do. Ultimately, the Passover lamb, okay, was the most important part of it. Now you read between the lines. He emphasized. Okay, so I'm going to play the video. Okay, we're going to do the, the Seder plate. This is something that, of course, um, we're not Jewish, we're Gentile, so this isn't something that I do. I hear a lot about this, I've read a lot about it, I've talked to uh, Jews, uh, I've also talked to Messianic Jews. This is something that they do. As Christians, there's things that we do, and, and like I explained, there are things that, that I'm doing here, because this is something that Jesus did at the Last Supper. We have a enclosed um, atmosphere uh, of the picture and the, the, the tunnel vision of Christianity. We don't look outside of what is inside of the, the New Testament scriptures, the epistles and the, and the, um, the four gospels, which is kind of sad. But this is something that I have to take my journey, and I hope that you take it with me, because it's important that we know what Jesus actually did, because we read by it like if it has no significance, and it actually does. Okay, so the very first thing, as I showed pictures uh, of the, my Seder plate, it's not a complete Seder plate, because I'm not doing Passover. All I'm trying to do is I'm trying to fill the witness, fill what Jesus was doing, and trying to get the, the ex- exact um, thing that he was doing, which is important, because what Scripture says, and I'll go through it, and what I think that, that as you could see what Scripture says, it's very important, that we see this. Okay. So, one of the things that they do, the Jews do, is they, they read the scriptures in Exodus chapter 12. It is exactly the, the, the story of the Passover. It's recited, told over generation, over generation for the last 3,000 plus years, which is amazing. It is the oldest um, religious, uh, I would say, I wouldn't call it a rite. It's definitely a religious observance for sure, a celebration. Uh, for what god did but it definitely is something different you know as a christian i I don't celebrate this so it's very it's different for me it's it's the first time i'm even trying to do this and um it's nothing wrong with it it's something that god had the jews do those are his people so we're grafted on but that doesn't mean that we have to take on those traditions it just means that we at least recognize why jesus did what he did why the jews do what they do it's their way of their identity and keeping their identity by doing certain things like this is just one of many but the reason why I'm doing this is so that you can understand that there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that I've never experienced it. And But there's significance to each emblem that's on the Seder plate. Now, it varies from, uh, from uh, the location where Jews are because there's some things they just can't get. Let's just say, like, in there's Jews in Russia. There's things you can't get in Russia that you can get in the Middle East. So there's things that they have to improvise. But the emblem still remains the same as far as the significance and meaning. So the reciting of the Exodus is very important. If you have not read Exodus chapter 12, or even read um, the story of the children of Israel uh, in bondage in Egypt, you must read it in order to be able to understand why this is significant. And then there's a larger panoramic view that God is is, is actually trying to convey a story uh, to his uh, future believers uh, in the generations to come, because this is why they do it, is so that they understand who god is it's a reiterating of a, of a awesome story that god has delivered his people use moses as a deliverer which we see types and shadows of things to come this is very very important for us to know and then also for us to understand why jesus came when he did as he did what he said his life lived crucified and resurrected so this is very very important so what i so not to um go too much on about this so I, I took i took pictures as as i showed uh what the my uh makeshift seder plate looks like um so here it gives i purchased a couple books um uh, ebooks um how to do a seder. Now, i'm not trying to do a seder. all i'm trying to do is is uh experience what they experience but only to do a partial and it, it, i think it's it's important to know now um here it says that is to have yours to have a lamb. Well, there's a sacrificial system. There's no temple, so there's no sacrificial lamb. So what is on the plate is a is a is a, a lamb a bone, and that bone uh, represents it's a representation of the lamb. Okay, and so but I don't have that. Okay, so uh, the next one is the I'm, probably I'm pronouncing. I don't know Hebrew, so the next one it says here a maror. Now it says bitter herbs. Um it says are another one of the three items to be eaten at the Passover uh as a commandment in Exodus chapter twelve, eight. So what we're going to do is we're going to what it says there's some satyrs that say to take um uh the uh the the parsley okay and you dip it in salt water you dip it in salt water okay and then this salt water is, is representing the tears in the herbs. It's a, a bitter herb is to remind them of the, the, the bondage in Egypt and the tears that they cried. So we're gonna eat this. Mm. That's bitter and definitely salty. Okay, so to be able to eat the bitter herbs, dipped in salt water, Your representation is the the bitterness of bondage. And uh, salty water is the the tears that were cried. So I could see how this would be significant to remember. Because you're using, I'm using my um, taste buds, my faculties. I could smell it. I'm using everything to experience this, which is amazing. Because we don't do this in Christianity. So I think it's it's kind of um, enlightening to see that you share food, you use food as to remember what God did. So it's not like we can experience because I, I have never experienced slavery, especially for 420 years. And so I could understand why this is important uh, during the Passover. To a Jew. Now, the next thing, it says unleavened bread. So I've never had unleavened bread. And just to let you know, my son is here uh, partaking with me as well. So this is unleavened bread. I'm not going to eat the whole thing. I'm just going to break off a piece, okay? And it is to, and it, uh, this right here. Let's see what Reed says. It says the unleavened bread is the last of the three items commanded. Uh, from the Passover, typically called matzah. So unleavened bread recalls the haste that which the Israelites fled Egypt. The impending Egyptian army did not allow Israel to wait for their bread to rise. We recall the escape from Egypt for the seven days of the Passover, as it is traditional to abstain from leaven. Contemporary Judaism, the matzah is eaten as a contemporary Seder, and the seven days following in place of the leavened bread. And it holds the same significance as the rabbinic tradition. Jesus equates the matzah with the body at the Last Supper, with his body at the Last Supper, with his disciples, Luke 22, 19. He broke the bread and distributed it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. First First Corinthians, chapter 11, uh, verse 24. Today, matzah is uh, often used to uh, communion element to remember Jesus' sacrifice, the matzah is meant to remind us that Yeshua's body was broken. Um, interestingly, the the modern way of producing matzah causes it to be uh, striped and pierced. Some uh, Jewish believers seek that kind of visual uh, midrash that reminds us of the Messiah's body that was striped. So, as the pictures that I showed, you can see. So, we're going to eat this. So, partaking of this emblem, it doesn't taste that great. It's actually um, very bland, very plain, very dry. But it's to remind the, the person, participant, taking uh, part of the, in the Passover Seder that this was done in haste, because when the, uh, when the death passed over, they had to eat that because, uh, well, Jews didn't have proof boxes to rise their bread. So they had to wait. They they put yeast in it, mixed it all up, and they had to wait overnight or a whole day for it to rise. And then they put it in the oven and they have raised bread. So this is just made flatbread without yeast. And the leaven, the, the unleaven, is also a part of representing purging your house of leaven, which is kind of equating kind of sin and then also that you're not partaking in it, you're t- partaking in unleavened bread, and there's a, you know, a narrative on that, but I'm not going to go into that. But that's one thing that is part of the um, being able to prepare your home for a seder or for the Passover is to purge your entire house of anything with leaven or yeast. Okay, now uh, let's move on here. Is well and let's see if I can pronounce this correctly. I think it's called Charoseth. Um, the Charoseth is a mixture of chopped apples, nuts, wine, and cinnamon, is not specifically mentioned in the Old Testament. The rabbinic tradition, the mixture represents the mortar used by the Israelite slaves to make bricks for Pharaoh. The Charoseth is sweet and delicious, and so the rabbis explain that the most difficult circumstances of our lives are sweetened by the promise of future redemption. Contemporary Judaism, the chauset is eaten at the contemporary Seder and is given at the same significance as the rabbinic tradition. The New Testament, the chauset, is another possibility of Judas, sop, but it is not explicitly mentioned in Yeshua's Last Supper. Okay, so this is a, this is a, a mixture of apples, cinnamon, and... I put uh, pecan, uh, chopped pecans. So let's try this. Very good. So I can see by eating this, it says here that that this particular mix, it says that the Israelite slaves to make breaks of Pharaoh and Cheryl said this is sweet, delicious. And so the rabbis explain that even in the most difficult circumstances, our lives are sweetened by the promises of our future redemption. So that's that's actually pretty sweet. To, if you think about that, I can see how that connects with that. And it's very important to understand that that's what uh, why this is there. And then we're going to continue to go on because there's things on this plate that I'm kind of like not sure I want to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. So then there's the, the ceremonial cup now this here, it says the Hebrew scriptures, the original Passover, makes no mention of a cup. Yet, throughout the uh, Hebrew scriptures, the cup is often used as symbolic of God's judgment and salvation. The, these themes are woven together beautifully in the Passover story. Rabbinic tradition, the, cups, the four cups represent the four phases. Exodus 6, uh, six uh, verse, chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, I will bring you out, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, and, uh, and take you to be my people. Contemporary Judaism, the contemporary Seder practices the tradition of four cups and is given the same significance in the Haggadah as in rabbinic tradition, first in the Kaddish cup, the cup of sanctification, followed by the cup of plagues, the cup of redemption, and lastly, the cup of Hallel, the cup of praise. So, okay. Wow. Oh. So, so far, so good. So then there is, there is, um, in some traditional, um, uh, uh, seders, there's also horseradish. Now, the horseradish, I believe, here it's not, it's not mentioned in this particular, uh, seder, but I believe it's amongst the, um, the bitter herbs and is the, uh, also the bitterness, uh, with, a uh, bondage. Now, I'm not going to do the, the bitter herbs with the salt water together with the, with the horseradish, but we're going to partake of this. I'm not going to take a lot only because I've heard about horseradish I've never had before, but I heard that it's not very pleasant. But I believe that it is relevant to do it, this in the Passover and <clears throat> the Seder so that we're able to understand the bitterness of bondage. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, I can see that. Okay. Okay. I did take a lot. I just basically took uh, just the size of maybe like a, the end of your pinky. But that is definitely um, something else. It has a kind of vinegary, hot, uh, <laughs> a little unpleasant, and it hits you immediately. So I think that this is uh, important that we that I did this, and so that you can see that that this is something that Jesus was doing at the Last Supper. The things that, that I have here on this plate is is more than likely some of the things that Jesus had on His plate. What the Scripture says, it says bitter herbs. And they were preparing this. The lamb, the cup of wine, uh, the Bible says fruit of the vine, um, the bitter herbs, um, either it could have been horseradish, it could have been parsley, definitely the matzah bread, um, the flat flatbread, a um, Feast of Unleavened Bread is what it was called. So there are things... Um, that are on this plate that Jesus partook of himself. Now, we don't read that in the Gospels, but we know by in the uh, Hebrew Bible, that's exactly what he partook because he observed Passover. So what he did do is, is he took the bread. Okay. He took the bread. And, and what he did was, is he ended up, uh, breaking the bread and then sharing it with all the disciples. Okay. And then after a period of time, they had wine in his cup. He says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. Okay. And then he says, and the wine represents my blood. Now, until uh, I have on Resurrection Sunday, I'm going to have um, on my uh, page, I want you, for, for those who are, uh, members of the First Discipleship on Facebook, uh, feel free to uh, to uh, come and, and do this on Sunday. Uh, I believe it's the 17th. And we're going to do it in the evening. And we're going to do communion. It is something that Jesus told us to do, to remember him for what he did on the cross. And he gave his body and shed his blood. So it's very important that we, we do that. Uh, because he told us to do that. But what he did was, is he emphasized the bread and the wine during the Passover Seder because he was going to fulfill that. Now, I hope that you um, understood what I was doing. And I hope that that you're not trying to draw a conclusion uh, of anything like is... is unchristian or non-christian this is something that is important and to to actually know it, it is part of the story we we've been taught traditionally what the story is i'm bringing up facts scripture truth exactly what the bible says so that we can draw our own conclusion just because people only talk about what they want to talk about just because preachers only preach what they preach about or teachers only teach what they teach about i'm teaching you scripture to some it's it's new to some it's you know it's not necessary to some it's it's you know they they think whatever they want to think don't argue with me argue with scripture those are god's words when i preach my sermon hopefully that god's words Will give you the enlightenment that you need to understand. It in only enriches our belief in Jesus Christ. That's the point. I teach Christocentric doctrine. I preach, preach Christocentric theology. This is what I do, and I, you know, I'm I'm at the beginning of it. I'm not. I I've only had maybe I only have like maybe two years under my belt right now to to teach this. But I hope that you take the journey with us because it is important to know our lord and savior every aspect of what and who he is to to believe deeper in, in our faith to be able to stand against the times that are coming soon there's going to be the bible says there's going to be a lot of false cries a lot of false messiahs are going to come we need to know the real one we need to know and the deep scriptures and what what the meanings are because if we only know just the character of Christ because of western christianity i'm fearful that some of us may fall i'm fearful that we'll fall away we need to know our lord and savior jesus christ we just i, I don't i don't really know any other way to say it other than the fact that with with 100% of our faith and know him from scripture not from the, the you know these you know, slippery words of these teachers and pastors. There are a lot of things to consider, yes. But if we know Christ and we believe in Him, we repent of our sins, we will have everlasting life. We will be in the new heavens, the new earth. This is Pastor Frank. God bless.